0: You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. Lesson 15, the conclusion of Redemptor Huminus on Mary, section 22. The concluding section of the Redeemer of Man is entitled, The Mother in Whom We Trust. The importance of Mary, the mother of God, in the life and thought of John Paul II cannot be overemphasized. Its importance pertains to his personal life and his devotion and his travel, as well as to the very texture of his thought and the proclamation of the faith. His letter on the rosary bridges both the personal, pastoral, and doctrinal Each encyclical ends with a meditation on Mary. This one does as well. Benedict XVI says that Mariology brings together all the great themes of the faith and not one encyclical ends without acknowledging the mother of the Lord. Already in Redemptor Hominus we've seen the Pope clearly link the theme of the church as mother, with Mary as the mother of the church. This expands into history, theology, and pneumatology, or study of the Holy Spirit. So here is the concluding prayer, and then we'll fill in. He says, I implore Mary, the heavenly mother of the church, to be so good as to devote herself to this prayer of humanity's new advent, together with us who make up the Church, that is to say, the mystical body of her only Son. I hope that through this prayer, we shall be able to receive the Holy Spirit coming upon us and to become Christ witnesses to the ends of the earth, like those who went forth from the upper room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Now that's the concluding prayer. The significance of this and its rootedness in Scripture. I'll just make two points here to frame this discussion of Mary and the Redemptor, the Redeemer of Man. When he talks about a new advent, and invoking the Holy Spirit, we can't forget that the first Advent, the first Christmas came about because Mary said, fiat voluntas tua, thy will be done, and by the Holy Spirit she conceived Jesus Christ. She is the one who, by responding to God, and receiving the Holy Spirit, brought about the first advent. So he sees any invocation of the advent, the coming of God, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of Jesus Christ. Mary is already a model. And then secondly, when he talks about the reception of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, when the apostles went forth from the upper room, we should not forget that Mary was present in the Upper Room with the Apostles. It was not her gift or mission to be an Apostle, but it was hers to take under her wing John, the Apostle whom Jesus loved, and to be in prayer with all of the Apostles. So, I would like to first say a little bit more about the background of John Paul II's devotion to Mary on a personal level, and then see how it fits in doctrinally with this teaching on Christ the Redeemer. The faith of John Paul II has deep roots in devotion to Mary. He spoke about the Marian thread to his vocation in Gift and Mystery. He learned the traditional devotions to Mary through his Polish heritage. In Gift and Mystery, he says the following, I learned the traditional devotions to the Mother of God in my family. And in my parish at Wodowice, I remember in the parish church a side chapel devoted to Our Lady of Perpetual Help. In the mornings, the secondary school students would make a visit to it before classes began, and after class, many students would go there to pray to the Blessed Virgin. So, deeply formed in his childhood, through the Polish devotion, he sees the beauty of Mary. He also said as he matured he would go to a Carmelite monastery on a hilltop in his hometown of Vodavice. It's a monastery that dated back to St. Raphael Kalinowski. And he said there he saw the importance of our mother of Mount Carmel. And that's where we have then a He said he received the scapula of Carmel at age 10 and that he wore it his whole life. So I would like to quote from a message, a letter he sent to the Carmelites in 2001, which I think contains a nice summary of his devotion and teaching. In this letter he said, Generations of Carmelites from the beginnings up to today in their journey towards the holy mountain. Jesus Christ, our Lord, that is the Missal, from the Roman Missal on the prayer of the Blessed Virgin of Mount Carmel. The Carmelites have sought to model their lives after the example of Mary. For this reason contemplation of the blessed virgin flourishes in carmel and in every soul moved by a tender affection towards her who is our most holy mother from the very beginning she knew how to be open to the word of god and obedient to god's will luke 2:19 mary who was educated and formed by the spirit luke 2: 44 to 50, was able to read her own life experience in light of faith. She was docile to the divine promptings and advanced in her pilgrimage of faith and loyally persevered in her union with her son unto the cross. There she stood in keeping with the divine plan. John nineteen twenty-five suffering grievously with her only begotten son. There she united herself with a maternal heart to his sacrifice. That, by the way, is a quote from Lumen Gentium, number 58, which he sent in his letter to the Carmelites. Well, in addition to Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the, and the Polish devotions, he learned most of all from St. Louis de Mont who taught him that Mary leads to Christ and that Christ leads to Mary. We live her mystery in Christ. We know that his motto for his papacy, totus tuus, derived from St. Louis de Montfort and the consecration to Mary. It's an abbreviation of the words of consecration that I give all that I have and all that I am to you, Jesus, through Mary, your mother. But he read this treatise on true devotion to the Blessed Virgin as a young man, which he said cleared up a question he had, a, a concern that devotion to Mary could get in the way of devotion to Christ. But he says here in Gift and Mystery, he found his answer to the questions in that treatise of St. Louis. Yes, Mary brings us closer to Christ. She does lead us to him, provided we live her mystery in Christ. His Mariological thought is rooted in the mystery of the Trinity. And in the truth of the Incarnation. That is what he learned from... Louis de Montfort. So in addition to that personal entrustment to Mary, he saw that there is a Marian dimension to the Church and something to learn about Jesus Christ by meditating on and considering the life of the Virgin Mary. He did say that The redemption should have as its background the mystery of the Trinity, that which St. Thomas's theology refers to as the missions of the divine person, the Son and the Spirit. But he said the devotion to Mary does introduce us to the mystery of the Incarnation. As I read through the book, True Devotion to Mary, I found this passage from St. Louis to Montfort. It's this. It was only through Mary that God the Father gave his only begotten to the Son. Whatever sighs the patriarchs may have sent forth, whatever prayers the prophets and saints of the old law may have offered up to obtain this treasure for a full 4,000 years, it was only Mary who merited it and found grace before God, Luke 1.30, by the force of her prayers and the eminence of her virtues. The world was unworthy, said Saint Augustine, to receive the Son of God directly from the Father's hands. He gave him to Mary in order that the world might receive him through her. The Son of God became man for our salvation But it was in Mary and by Mary, God the Holy Ghost formed Jesus Christ in Mary. And it was only after having asked her consent by one of the ministers of his court, end of quote from de Montfort, who elaborates on these dimensions of the Incarnation that God the Father communicated to Mary his fruitfulness. God the Son descended into her virginal womb as the new Adam. And of her, God the Holy Ghost produced his masterpiece. So that's the Trinitarian dimension, the mystery in which to see Mary. It's about the Trinity and the Incarnation. So John Paul came to see that in devotion to Mary we discover The essentials of faith, they don't detract from the faith, but highlight the Trinity, the Incarnation, the very dynamism of evangelization, which is the redemption of mankind. He would tell his priests that they should read Lumen Gentium to find a confirmation for this understanding of Mary, and if we look at that book, Sources of Renewal, on the implementation of Vatican II, he selected this text from Lumen Gentium to discuss Mary. Quote, Devoutly meditating on her and contemplating her in the light of the Word made man, the Church reverently penetrates more deeply into the great mystery of the Incarnation and becomes more and more like her spouse. Having entered deeply into the history of salvation, Mary, in a way, unites in her person and re-echoes the most important doctrines of the faith. And when she is the subject of preaching and worship, she prompts the faithful to come to her son, to his sacrifice and the love of the Father. End of quote. So you see, in this devotion, John Paul II found a prayerful way to deepen his awareness of Christ the Redeemer. And finally, I would add, he made pilgrimages to Marian shrines for courage and inspiration throughout his life. And every time he traveled as a pope, he would visit a Marian shrine. And there are numerous examples in which you can see His prayer to Mary was a prayer to serve Christ, to understand the Incarnation, and to join with her in contemplation of Christ. He said at Lourdes that he wants to draw the church into prayer. Because prayer is the primary duty and primary mark of the Pope, it's the requirement of his service in the church and in the world so he says it's for good reason I kneel down in this grotto and be a pilgrim to lords to be drawn into this great prayer of Mary in contemplating and storing up in her heart the truth of her son Jesus Christ. Well, Let's turn to the teaching level. On the teaching level we can see how he outlines the importance of awareness of Mary. He opens this concluding section of Redemptor Hominus by, in a way, coming back to how he opened the whole thing, which is that he turns his thoughts and heart to Christ. And in this turning of his heart and thoughts to the Redeemer of man. He says, I enter into the deepest rhythm of the church's life, which is Christ. He says, Christ came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. The church unites herself with the mystery of the redemption. And it is through the Holy Spirit that we receive this life. We receive the spirit of truth, he said. And we are visited by the Holy Spirit, the love of God that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. If you recall earlier in the encyclical, John Paul II talks about our need for the Redeemer. Because Adam severed humanity from the wisdom and love of God. And Christ restores us to that wisdom and love in that homily on St. Maximilian Colby, the saint of this new century, he said, of the distress of the church, the very place where human dignity was destroyed in body and spirit, he said, of Maximilian Colby, who lived a life of service and also had a deep devotion to Mary. He said, we find a man in whom... The link with wisdom and love is reforged through faith. And that is what will lead up then to one of his first notions that he wants us to consider, is that just as the church in her service is a mother, that is, one who wants to see born Christ in the mystery of redemption in every man, to see that link reforged through Christ and that Christians be born of the water and the spirit, so too will he see in this need of a mother that the church itself has need of a mother, And John Paul expresses his gratitude to the fathers at Vatican II for their teaching on Mary, particularly Pope Paul VI, who at the conclusion of the Council proclaimed that Mary is the mother of the Church. And I would just like to share with you a little comment made by the late Cardinal Dulles On this point, he says at the end of the third session of Vatican II, Paul VI made a speech in which he conferred upon Mary the title Mother of the Church. That speech caused consternation among the Protestant observers especially because the council had avoided titles for Mary. Well, later in his Marian encyclical, John Paul II recalls that incident and adds that in the credo of the people of God by Paul VI, he even more forcefully says that Mary is the mother of the church. And John Paul II strongly agrees. Just as Mary was the mother of Jesus in his physical body, so she was to become the mother of the church as the mystical body. This is the foundation that John Paul II calls the special presence of the Mother of God in the mystery of Christ and in the Church. This, all disciples, he said, should have a Marian dimension in their life. And this is something, I think, if we read that text from Lumen Gentium 56, will see the power of this idea and teaching. Quote, Mary is the mother of the church because of the father's choice and due to the spirit of love and the special action when she gave human life to the Son of God. The daughter of Adam, Mary, consented to the word of God, became the mother of Jesus. Committing herself wholeheartedly and impeded by no sin to God's saving will, she devoted herself totally as a handmaid of the Lord to the person and work of her Son. Under and with Him, serving the mystery of redemption by the grace of Almighty God. Rightly, therefore, the Father see Mary not merely as passively engaged by God, but as freely cooperating in the work of man's salvation through faith and obedience. End of quote. That's Lumen gensian number 56. We could go on from there to consider, at the cross of Christ, Jesus designated his beloved disciple as her son and extends that to all Christians. A close study of scripture, he says, shows how Mary is present in the history of salvation in the Church's mission from the very beginning, from the very moment of the Annunciation, then present in the Upper Room at our Lord's Ascension, recollected in prayer until the day of Pentecost when the Church was born. So John Paul says, We who form today's generation of disciples of Christ Wish to unite with her in a special way at the urging of the deep need of faith, hope, and charity. No one else, he says, as Mary can bring us into the divine and human dimension of the mystery of redemption. She has a unique or exceptional grace of divine mother, he says, unique in its profundity and range of action. Mary has an inexhaustible love as a mother. She is close to man and all that happens in the mystery of the church. And that's why the church wishes to have this mystery made more available to man. And so he says Mary will be on the way of the church's daily life through her maternal presence. The church requires the certainty that she's living the life of the master and living the mystery of the redemption and all its life giving, and in its profound gifts to the church. Well, Mary is a model for all Christians. And just as Paul VI in his first encyclical on the church said, as we are aware of the difficulties facing the church, We need a deeper union with Christ, who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to create an interest in a growing prayer life, because only prayer can can prevent these great tasks from coming about, or the difficulties and crises as the church approaches the end of the second millennium. The Lord has called us into a greater, mature relationship with him. And so he says, I make a warm and humble prayer to devote herself, the church, to prayer together with Mary, the mother of Jesus, as the apostles did in the upper room. And as he will do in every encyclical, invoking Mary. That is the prayer I opened with again just to consider it, that he implores Mary, the Heavenly Mother of the Church, to be so good as to devote herself to this prayer of a new advent for humanity. And together with us who make up the Church, that is to say, the mystical body of our only Son, I hope that through this prayer we shall be able to receive the Holy Spirit coming upon us and to become Christ witnesses to the end of the earth, like those who went forth from the upper room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Here is an opening to the new evangelization, to be sent forth. For this reason, John Paul II explains that Mary is not only the nursing mother of the Son of Man, but an associate of unique nobility of the Messiah and Redeemer. For she advanced in her pilgrimage of faith. And in the pilgrimage to the foot of the cross, there was simultaneously accomplished her maternal cooperation with the Savior's whole mission. Through her actions and suffering, And this is contained in that first moment, he says, of the fullness of time in the Annunciation. For good reason is she then the star of the new evangelization, as John Paul II will refer to her burning charity. And along the path of this collaboration with the work of her son, the Redeemer, Mary's motherhood itself underwent a singular transformation becoming ever more imbued with this burning charity towards all those to whom Christ's mission was directed. We see that at the first miracle at Cana. This burning charity sought to achieve in union with Christ the restoration of supernatural life to souls. Now, later he would call a synod on the evangelization, And in it, he would connect the evangelization with the Annunciation by saying the first evangelization which began on the day of Pentecost was when the Apostle gathered with the Mother of Christ and received the Holy Spirit. But in a similar way, Mary, according to the words of the Archangel, is full of grace and was present during the apostolic evangelization and continues to be present in those places where the successors of the apostles strive to proclaim the gospel. At one point, he gave a little discourse on the visitation and said this, Be faithful gospel witnesses, learning every day at the school of Mary, the perfect disciple of her divine Son. Blessed John Paul II studied every day at the School of Mary through his consecration to Mary, his daily recitation of the rosary, and his very Marian attitudes and virtues. St. Louis de Montfort said that Mary is meek and strong, humble and courageous, zealous and prudent, pure and fruitful. I think we would agree that these are the very traits we see replicated in St. John Paul II. And that's why he has been declared a saint, that he learned through the school of Mary what it is to be like Christ, what it is to take on the new life of the Holy Spirit. And when later he would issue His letter on the rosary he would repeat that phrase that the rosary is a way to put ourselves at in the school of Mary so that with Mary we contemplate Christ all the mysteries of the rosary are precisely the mysteries of Jesus Christ it's not about interposing Mary in between Christ and the soul but quite the opposite. It's by living with Mary. It's by looking at the way she would contemplate her son through the joyful mysteries. She was present, and we see in her response how each Christian should respond in the Annunciation, the Visitation, the Nativity, the Presentation, the finding of our Lord in the Temple. These are rich ways that we can deepen our awareness of faith in the Redeemer of man. And we could go on with each of the other mysteries to think about particularly those sorrowful mysteries in which the Redeemer of man comes into the most sharp focus to one who would want to study the life of Christ. And, of course, the glorious mysteries to see the great hope we have And finally, John Paul II added a new set of mysteries called the Luminous Mysteries, in which the Holy Spirit can come to illuminate our mind and heart about Christ in his baptism, Christ in his miracle at Cana, Christ in his teaching of the Kingdom, Christ in his transfiguration, and finally Christ in the Eucharist, to really have the full array of um, the wonderful mysteries by which the Church lives and which she seeks to proclaim to the world, the Redeemer of man, Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.